0: dr kareem i am so excited to talk to you today i've been wanting to have this conversation for many years so i'm i'm just like a giddy schoolgirl over here meeting a pop star <laughs> so I can't wait. You know, I was just um, sharing with Jared your book here, your latest book, um, Hidden Reality, and all of its, I think, 669 pages. And it's it's a heavy book, huh? It's a heavy duty book. Oftentimes (laughs) when I'm going to yeah when I'm in a podcast with someone you you know I might whiz through their book and just kind of skim it to get some of the rough ideas of their of their worldview and this one is not a book that you can skim, <laughs> so it's probably going to take me a few years to get through this one and really uh grasp the content in its fullness so yeah i'm I'm so excited to uh chat with you. I thought we might start with some of the lower hanging fruit in regard to e m f and how biogeometry is useful in the mitigation of that really ubiquitous issue that we have on earth. It's something I talk a lot about on the show. And then perhaps we can move into some of your work on the nature of reality and consciousness and duality after we get through the light stuff, because I... I really love your perspective on you. on all of that. And I know that that could be quite a lot to get into. Tell us a little bit at first, before we even start on that, kind of the premise of your book, Hidden Reality, and how long did it take you to write and what sort of research went into that creation? Because it, it's quite an opus. Well, actually, this book deals with,
1: let's say, the complete Uh, science of the physics of quality. We work with it with all that depth for so many years, for 50 years now in Egypt. And I mainly teach those things in my postgraduate studies for people who are doing PhDs, master's degrees and all that. So it has been confined to the students here in Egypt. While internationally, we had just the two simplified levels, foundation level one week advanced level one week. The idea was not to start with something too difficult, a science that nobody knows. If you tell them by geometry and you present them with so much knowledge as hidden reality, people will shy away from from it to begin with. So we decided in the beginning to make a simple approach, a one-week approach for a foundation level. And then another one-week approach, just a more advanced level. And that was what's being taught till today by all our instructors worldwide. So there comes a time when I was asked, how do you feel by having all the knowledge in your head and not giving it out there where at least your instructors and the people can reach it? And... One of the things, uh, my friend, Dr. Robert Gilbert, <laughs> who was teaching one of our instructors, he asked me, he said, Ibrahim, uh, you're over 80 years old now. So uh, do you plan to take it all with you? I mean, you must leave the science for us. You ju- just can't go away and take it with you. So I thought about that. I said, okay, we can't keep this knowledge proprietary. Uh, the best way, to ensure the future of biometry is to put the whole science, the whole physics of quality, out there so that people can use it as a reference. They can go back to it and they can feel it's a solid science. So I put it all in this book. It took me uh, about two years, or a bit less than two years. The editing itself took some time. Writing it took one and a half years because it was all there. We, we had it all, all in our life. So. I put it all in there and then I brought out hidden reality so that at least I'm sure that biogeometry has a sort of an anchor somewhere that people can go back to. If people don't understand uh, this uh, at the time, it was a strange science they don't know. And what is a physics of quality? I'll I'll come to that later, What is physics of quality is, but I thought... I should have it out there. And that's what I did with this book. And I told everybody, they said it might be too difficult for everybody. I said, look, you wanted it all out there. It's there. You can go through it bit by bit or read it so many times. And then what we're starting now, we're starting a website where people can come in and discuss the topics uh, of hidden reality and the, I'll answer all their questions and all that to lead them uh, through many topics in the book, give them examples and and things like that. And next year, we'll start with about six or seven higher levels of courses where we will teach hidden reality in a practical way because biogeometry uh, is a practical science. We believe that science and knowledge are not things that you can learn They are things that you experience. That's how it was in ancient Egyptian temples. You know, when Pythagoras, for example, he came to Egypt. He had a letter from the Pharaoh because the king was a friend of the Pharaoh. He had a letter from the Pharaoh for the temples where he could go and learn ancient Egyptian, the mysteries of the temples. And When he came to the temples, he came, he said, I want to learn. And they told him, well, we have nothing to teach. So he says, Why, I mean, I want to learn the secrets of the temple. I have a letter from the Pharaoh and so on. And they told him, there's nothing to be taught. There's only things to be experienced. So you will learn through experience, but nobody will teach you. So that's the second step when we will make courses, where everything in hidden reality will be taught through Uh, using tools and courses and all that so that you can go deep into that. So that's the book of hidden reality. It's the anchor of biogeometry. Then I'm going to choose topics, like now I'm writing a small book. I'm starting a sort of a pocketbook series to pay for the sins I made when I gave you this heavy book. (laughs) So I thought (laughs) I'd make make a small pocketbook, you know, that you can keep in your pocket. And the new pocketbook is uh, called Being Human. It, it deals with the journey of humanity from the beginning of humanity on Earth, the dawn of humanity, taking it to the future of humanity and the future of AI and the future of climate change and all that, tackling all that and how will future humans be, how to avoid pitfalls, how to save humanity. It, it's, it's a book that I'm putting in about 100 pages maximum that you can put in your pockets. So that's to pay for the sins I
0: made with the first book, you know. So oh, cool! So yeah, you're so, eighty. So you're eighty now. Do you have any plans of retiring at any point, or are you just going to take it all the way to the end with your work? Well, I'm, I'm eighty-one, and 81. when I tell yeah, when I tell my children,
1: uh, I want to uh, retire soon, and they said, "Look, come to us when you're ninety, and we'll discuss it." <laughs> 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 So they said, you can't stop working and you have to continue. So I'm doing what I can, as long as I can, and we'll see where it takes us. Cool, cool. Okay, let me start now with uh, what the word biogeometry means. Because biogeometry is a word I coined in 1972. Geometry is known. I mean, the word geometry is geo, means earth. Metri is the measurement. And in ancient Egypt, they used to have methods of surveying the land because every year the Nile flood came, covered all the agricultural lands. And after the flood receded, they had to throw the borders again. So they had to have very good geometrical ways of surveying the land. One of the ways of making, uh, let's say, 90-degree angles is the famous uh, Pythagorean triangle. They used to get a rope and they used to have, uh, let's say, three, four, and the diagonal would be five knots. And with that, you had 90 degrees. So Egypt was known, another name for Egypt was called the surveyed land because it was surveyed every year you had to do it again. I thought now, geometry, surveying the land, but I want to survey something else. Uh, Metry means measurement, so I want to measure something else. And that is life force of the earth. And that is the bio aspect. So I said, if I add bio to geometry, so instead of surveying the physical dimension, I'm actually going to work with the life force dimension. And... That's where all the problems are today with life force. So, if you have a new science, if this science will not have a role in solving your major problems today, then we don't need it. You see, there's no time. We don't have so much time. We have so many problems. We only need sciences that contribute to solving those problems. and is such a science. So we're going to take it step by step. Now, we're going to start with the problem we all know, and that is global warming, climate change. That's one of the things that could have the effect of global life extinction. Now, uh, the way climate change is dealt with will lead us nowhere because all they're thinking about now is the greenhouse gases from oil and all that, and that's so oil is the culprit. Greenhouse gases the culprit because they cause some warming. So we're going to sort of minimize this aspect. We're going to reduce it until it becomes negligible, and we're going to put electrical energy instead. So we're going to, everything will be turned to electric, electric cars, electric smart cities. Everything will become electric. That way, we will save nature. What they're not telling us is what are the other factors affecting global warming? Because, okay, I agree, fossil gases, greenhouse gases, have an effect on warming. But if you only concentrate on this factor, they, they do that because of political reasons. It's part of, of, you know, politically, uh, worldwide. Uh, it has to do with uh, all producing countries and all that. So it's more political than scientific. But let's look at it from a scientific point of view. If you are going to supplement or to use electrical energy, the information age has its main carrier wave, is an electromagnetic wave moving in the atmosphere. What do electromagnetic waves or any kind of waves do? Any motion in a medium produces heat. So to start with, electricity is one of the major sources of producing heat. So how can you use that as a solution for global warming if electricity itself is producing heat? There's a misconception here. So the information age carries within it the main factor for leading to global warming is in the electricity. So the solution we're bringing is actually more harmful than the existing one. So we have to do something for that. Now, what happens when a wave moves like this in the atmosphere? It produces heat. When you heat something... It loses humidity. We are facing a dehydration of all life systems on Earth. And you can see that in many ways, dehydration. You can drink as much water as you want. You, you still have to put some dehydrating creams on your skin or you'll get cancer, things like that. So it's not about the amount of water you drink. It's the amount of water that living systems can store, what your cells can store. Now, we have a problem here with the dehydration of all living systems on Earth, be it plant, animal, human, they're all dehydrating. Life force is actually stored in water. So, when you dehydrate systems, they are losing life force at the same time. And when they lose life force, immunity, goes down, is depleted. So we will end up depleting the immunity of all life systems on Earth if we continue with the profilation of electromagnetic radiation. We have it everywhere. We have it in wires. We have it in uh, wireless. We have it on satellites. We have it, it's everywhere. So the Earth atmosphere is slowly becoming like a hard disk, you know, and we're in it. So... This is definitely not a solution. The information age carries within it a time bomb that will explode sometime if you don't do anything about it. But is there a solution for that? Can we cancel electricity completely? We won't have an information age. We won't have modern technology. So, what is the solution? Let's look at The electromagnetic radiation in the earth, not the one we make, the one we make is harmful, but the one in the earth is part of the life force, part of your life system, your living system. So you can't live without the electromagnetic uh, uh, energy of the earth. So how come things in the earth in, in in a natural way it's very beneficent, and then when we produce it, it's very harmful because electromagnetic radiation in the Earth carries with it life force. Now, I'll go a bit technical, very little. So, uh, electromagnetic radiation moves in two planes like that, vertical and horizontal. The waves, they move this and that way. And that's what we learn we, we learn in school. Now, what happens in the empty quarters between them? I mean, imagine elect- any wave going through, uh, imagine water going through a pipe or air going through a pipe. Why should it have its a, a cross-section be just on two planes and leave the, the rest empty? i mean energy should go everywhere so while those two planes one is electrical one is a magnetic plane between them the, all those four sectors are more, are full of the, the medium they're going from which is a compression wave medium so here you have compression waves that are faster than light so Between the two components, you have emotional, mental, spiritual. All those levels exist as compression wave levels embedded in the four empty quarters that you see of electromagnetic radiation. That means in its natural form, those four active parts, the emotional, mental, and spiritual, are harmonized and energizing themselves. They give the electromagnetic radiation of the Earth life force because life force contains mental, emotional aspects and uh, vitality aspects and all that. So this radiation, electromagnetic radiation of the Earth, carries full life force components into our bodies. Now, that means that when we produce electricity artificially. We we don't have a science that deals with uh, the embedded parts. We don't have a science that deals with the emotional type energies, mental energies, and all that. That's what the premise of the physics of quality. So what biogeometry does is actually address those higher levels of the wave and restore the life force on those compression wave levels. So the compression wave levels inside the waves, they also, when harmonized, they harmonize the compression waves that are uh, around them in the environment. So in this way, you can actually infuse life force into electromagnetic radiation and into the environment around it. So there is a solution by bringing life force into the information age and actually if we can do that your electric car instead of harming you it will be like a healing cocoon that you're in your house will be like a healing environment the smart cities will be a healing environment the whole information age imagine your television set in front of you is radiating health supporting energy imagine your router is radiating health-supporting energy, just because we addressed the life force components in between the electromagnetic components of the waves. So this is how we are today walking the wrong path. And fortunately, biology comes at the right time and corrects that. Now. Many people would think we can agree with Ibrahim or not agree with Ibrahim. Many people tell you, no, no, we don't believe that the the gradation is harmful. We don't believe that. That's why we're resorting to it. But I'm not entering into discussions, into theoretical discussions.
0: Let's take a moment to explore one of the coolest innovations I've come across in my endless search for ways to improve our quality of life and vitality. It's a quantum energy streaming service called Quantum Upgrade. Through years of research and innovation, they've created one of the world's most accessible forms of quantum energy. And when you subscribe to their service, Quantum Upgrade transmits this energy into your home, car, or even onto your phone. Let's face it, many of us are stuck in patterns we repeat daily. We get up, we get dressed, we go to work. And this routine takes a lot of energy and at times leaves little room for personal growth. Well, it's widely known that quantum energy supports change and transformation. Your life can change dramatically when you access the quantum energy surrounding us. I personally love this service and often use its boosting feature at specific times when I need extra support with my mood and energy. Now, as far out as the realm of quantum energy is, rest assured that Quantum Upgrade has been tested and studied by independent institutes, doctors, and labs with phenomenal results in placebo-controlled double-blind studies, which can be easily viewed right on their website. So do yourself a favor and try this service out for free for 15 days. Just hop over to quantumupgrade.io and enter the code LUKE15 to activate your free trial. Again, that's quantumupgrade.io.
1: What I'm saying uh, is based on solutions I've been doing for 50 years in areas, electrosmog areas. I've done whole regions in Switzerland. And the first project I did in Hamburg was called The Miracle of Hamburg by the media, by everything, because 60% of health issues, symptoms were reduced. And when we analyzed that, we found that if you look at modern medicine today and uh, look how modern medicine has fared in the last 100 years. It has actually done fantastic things to our health. Modern medicine has raised our life expectancy by about 20 years. It has eradicated things like polio, like tuberculosis, like smallpox. All these things are eradicated thanks to antibiotics and many things that have been discovered, vaccines, antibiotics, and all that. But something we got an extra 20 years of life. And I was in a think tank uh, in Arizona a few years ago, and I, I was in the middle of this discussion, and as pe- some people said, at what cost are we getting those 20 years? Where you give us 20 years that we spent uh, with chemotherapy, with radiotherapy, <laughs> What kind of 20 years you're giving us? So the medical people there answered, well, actually, there is a new rising uh, phenomena that medicine can't find the cure for. And that is the phenomena of chronic diseases. Things that, I mean, when we know the causes, we've been able to eradicate them. But we have things like high blood pressure, you know, diabetes, things that cancer. There are many things like that that are slowly increasing and are on the rise. And modern medicine cannot do anything about it. The only thing modern medicine can do here is manage those things. We can manage chronic diseases, but... There's no way of eradicating them because we don't know the causes. Now, I intervened here in the discussion and I said, I'm speaking from my own practical work. You do not know the causes because medicine is always looking for the causes in the body because medicine sees the human body and this is what you analyze and what you see. But if the causes are out there in the environment, then you will never find them because it's not your domain. It's not your expertise. Today, science is so fragmented in specialization, specialization. Every specialization doesn't know what the other is doing. You know, everyone is fanatic about its path, getting more and more into detail that no one looks outside and see what's happening. So if you look at the environment, we have... Electromagnetic pollution. We have chemical pollution. All those things contribute to those chronic diseases. If you don't know what is causing what, just go out there and analyze the problem. But don't just shy off from studying the effects. But today, nobody will go out and say electrical energy or electromagnetic radiation has an effect on chronic diseases or those the chemical industry that, that we use in food preservation, things like that, and we use in agriculture, has an effect on chronic disease. So that's what I call them. You are not acknowledging the environment. Now, in my environmental projects, all of a sudden, the 60%, which are basically environmentally connected chronic diseases, these are the ones that all of a sudden uh, were reduced. And the strange thing, the what, uh, I mean, we've seen things that looked very miraculous. We, we never thought, for example, that epilepsy could be af- affected by the environment. Now, when we did our first project in 2007 in Hamburg, the area was, had many epileptic children in it. When we put a biogenesis solution there, from that day, not one single seizure in any child uh, happened. I mean, there were thousands of children. Not one seizure, as if diabetes had just vanished. And all we did was install some geometrical shapes that harmonized what do we harmonize? Not the electromagnetic radiation itself, but the 90% in the four embedded quarters. Once you harmonize that, because once you harmonize the emotional level, and once you harmonize the mental level, when something hits your body, comes into your body, and it's harmful, you feel the problem. And when you feel it, and also become aware of it. Now, if I'm harmonizing the feeling level and the mental level, I'm bringing in a harmonizing agent in those, the thing will come pass through your body, your body will not enter into resonance with it. It's like, for example, when you're sitting in a place and the place is affecting you and all of a sudden, you think about being on the beach or on the mountains or something like that. Your whole body Reacts to that other thing, and you could be sitting here in front of the computer, and your body is not aware of any electro stress, because your mind is on, is on the beach. You see, so it, this is the same thing. Once we harmonize the electric, the, the electromagnetic radiation through the higher dimensions, we get this huge reduction. In symptoms and we did it not in one project we did it in the region of hirschberg and one other aspect was when you relieve stress from inside the body something strange happens your whole emotional aspect your whole behavior changes you become more relaxed so the people there one well, i mean the the parliament had their doctors come and assess all the medical problems and all that. And they, were, they called it the miracle of Hamburg. But the mayor came and he on television said, look, everybody's speaking about all the health symptoms and all that, and, but I'm a politician. I see something else. And he shook my hand and said, thank you, Dr. Ibrahim, for bringing peace to my community. Because all of a sudden, neighbors who were fighting when one neighbor, uh, when one's dog goes into the other garden or you park your car in front of the other house, there, there was always a lot of aggression between the people. All of a sudden, as if it's, it's another community, people were joking in the streets. I would go there, walk in the streets with them, and everybody was joking. And I would tell them funny Egyptian jokes that were funnier than the Swiss jokes because we Egyptians are funny people, you know. We like to joke a lot. And this atmosphere of uh, peace, laughter, and all that, when the government committee came for the assessment, they couldn't believe that. What's happened to to the people? They they thought I did something, (laughs) magical a spell. They were under my spell. Something changed. But in reality... That the harmonizing of emotional and mental produces that not only physical but produces that. Now I did it in Hamburg. They asked me to do a second project, and in Hamburg I placed the geometrical shapes that harmonized uh, the compression waves. I placed them on the towers, on the mobile communication towers, because uh, if if every shape, let's say, would have a twenty meter radius effect. For a whole reason, I'd need thousands of shapes in the ground. So I thought I'm going to use just a few shapes, but I'll let, I'll put them on some carrier wave. So I thought there was there a tower of mobile communication tower in the church. So I went up there with the engineers of Swisscom because they were, the project was commissioned by the government. They went with me and we installed, we pointed the geometrical shapes to the mobile communication antennas. So the energy quality was spread in the whole area and to every house with very few shapes. So the mobile communication radiation was the carrier wave for this harmonizing agent instead of being a stressful agent. Then they came and told me, now we want... Uh, a total Swiss solution. They wanted to do the whole country. But they said, can you find another carrier wave? Because when you use our towers as carrier waves, people might think that we are causing the harm and you are correcting it through the tower. So please, can you find another way away from our towers? So I said, okay, we went to Appenzell and I told them I'll make a pilot project and that will be the, the total Swiss solution for all, for the rest of the country. I'm going to measure all the earth energy grids, the lines in the earth, and they cover the whole earth. So I'll come and place my geometric shapes in tubes in the earth in the crossing points. So every time I put a shape, it will be carried in the earth very far away. So we did that, and we came in Hirschberg in a central area and in the garden of a house where things uh, could be protected. We put 12 shapes in certain points, like that, in a certain pattern uh, in the communication centers of communication lines of the earth. We put them there and we put tube, some water in it, and the shape, and put them in the ground. The effects covered a radius of five kilometers. So five kilometers away you you had the the mountains. It was a valley with a diameter of about 10 kilometers or or 12 kilometers, something like that. The whole valley was harmonized through those 12 ships in the center. And there we had some other problems there. Uh, One area had a huge emotional disturbance that people were always committing suicide in, in, in this area more than any other area. And I measured and I found the energy in the earth was uh, disturbed. So I asked them, what's causing this huge disturbance in those three spots, three huge circles like that? They told me this is the place of three castles that were completely destroyed in a war when the people from neighboring St. Gallen came over had war with them, and they completely massacred the, the the people in the three castles. So it was a huge massacre. And since that day, something seems to be wrong with the psychology of the population. Any little problem, and they would just commit suicide and things like that. So I did the same thing. I pointed uh, some of my shapes to the center of every one of those circles. And all of a sudden, the people who had lots of problems couldn't sleep or something like that. All of a sudden, even this aspect cleared. So when I speak about what happens when you harmonize Earth radiation, when I propose that we can harmonize the global effects of the information age, I mean, if you do one place, you can do... Or It's just knowing how. But the problem is you must believe that you need a solution. But if you are proposing today to put the electrical solution as the savior, when you know it is the main culprit, you will never believe that you need a solution.
0: Yeah. We have a we have a phrase here in the States. I don't know if you've heard it. It's it's called the chicken uh the fox guarding the hen house. <laughs> <Right>? Yes. Something <laughs> you know, like it's that. that. It's that it's that kind of situation, right?
1: Yes, it's something like that where we have to put sense in the people. I mean, uh like I mean we have two things today that are worrying us global warming, and artificial intelligence. I'll get to that maybe a bit later in our talk. And we think one of them will end humanity, the human race on Earth. Of course, we have put aside the effect of nuclear wars. Although, (laughs) at the present situation in the Earth, there doesn't seem to be any spot on the Earth where you wouldn't say it could trigger a nuclear war. But this is something that I cannot deal with, with by geometry. By geometry can't help you there. <laughs> the you, only have, thing you have there, your limitations. Yes. Hey, the only um, thing, no, the Dr. only thing that can help you there is your own
0: ethics, <laughs> but not
1: by geometry
0: All right, hopefully we all know by now that sauna therapy is really good for you. The unfortunate fact is, my friends, is that we live in a toxic, stressful environment, so the scientifically proven benefits of a sauna are a no-brainer. Now, the problem is, of course, that many people don't have the space at home or cash in the bank to afford a full-size sauna. Well, our homies over at Bond Charge solved this with their brand-new infrared sauna blanket. From blue light glasses to red light therapy and EMF management and circadian-friendly lighting, Bond Charge products help you naturally address the issues of our modern way of life effortlessly and with maximum impact. So the, the Bond Charge sauna blanket is badass because it's lightweight, extremely portable, quick to set up, and very compact to store away when you're done using it. And thankfully, they paid attention to the details and made this thing very low EMF. And it heats up to get you sweating much faster than a traditional box sauna. It works by raising your heart rate to that of physical exercise so you burn calories as you chill and listen to music, meditate, or even read a book. In fact, and this is crazy but true, you can burn up to 600 calories in just one session just lying there. Pretty sweet. And of course, sweating helps you eliminate heavy metals and other toxins, which are unfortunately so prevalent in today's world. But I got to say my favorite part is that a short session in the sauna blanket releases a grip of feel-good endorphins, which leaves you feeling euphoric after your session. Combined with the cold plunge, this is my number one mood booster hands down. Alrighty, ready to get your sweat on? Here's what you do. Go to bondcharge.com and use the code LIFESTYLIST to save 15%. That's B-O-N-C-H-A-R-G-E, bondcharge.com. And again, the coupon code is LIFESTYLIST for 15%. I want to go back to the, thank you for all of that. That was mind-blowing. And I'm so glad you covered the work you did in Switzerland because that's those stories just fascinate the hell out of me. Um, going back to the practical application of biogeometry for your individual home and living space. Um, some years ago when I lived in Los Angeles in a really high EMF area, I learned of your work and your technology and ordered some and you know, followed the instructions and put up the different um, geometric shapes in my windows and on my water pipe and uh, the electric meter and the routers and things like that. Then I moved to Texas and uh, had uh, a friend of mine who was on the podcast, Dr. Nathan Riley, who had been trained in biogeometry, and he came over and did a proper assessment of the home in which I live now. Uh, for those watching you can see uh, one of these cubes here as one of the examples. The rest of the devices are all stuck on windows and different places in the house, so I don't have them to show. But um, how does it work in terms of an individual's home space? And I and I love the way you frame that. That we're not the goal here isn't to harmonize these harmful frequencies, but rather to harmonize our biology so that we are if I understand you correctly, so that we create a living environment in which we are more resilient. And it's it's actually our biofield then that is able to transmute the harmful effects of the EMF versus making the EMF waves themselves safe. Am I, am I understanding that right? Basically, You see, you see we usually speak as a, uh,
1: in terms of a duality, we and the environment. Instead of saying, <laughs> right. I am living in the environment, The proper word would be, I am the environment, you see. Now, how can you be the environment? You have two perception modes in your brain. A left brain, sensory mode, that this is the sensory mode that actually makes you create your perceived reality. The perceived reality is created through uh, very small ranges of information that the senses can actually connect with. They take that in the brain. The brain puts color, sound, shape, and all that, and your reality is done. And even the sensory information is in your database, is what ultimately is your personality, the you that you know. But all this, the whole perceived reality, the whole material universe you live in, is actually only about 1% of the ranges of absolute reality from zero to infinity. The vibration ranges of the senses are very, very limited. All the other worlds there you don't see because your senses cannot interact with them. So, your right brain consciousness, that's the extrasensory part, is not limited to the sensory ranges. So, actually, your subconscious, your right brain conscious, or what we call the heart intellect, it does not have the same linearity of time-space like your left brain perception, like your everyday perception. It has a timeless. State. And in this timeless state, you and the environment are one. You and the universe are one. You're exchanging everything through resonance with the whole universe. So if 99% of your being that's on the subconscious level, on the existential level, 99% of your being is, let, let's say, inter integrated in the environment. And only the 1%, the mask you wear, the sensory mask you wear, your mortal soul, makes you unaware of the other 99%, which is actually your immortal soul. So in the 99%, you and the environment are totally integrated. It's only your left brain in personifying things It has to separate you from everything. Your senses tell you, I touch here, I touch here. I am here and you are there. The room is there. So it's separating me from everything. But that's only a perception state. The real thing is I am one with the environment. So that's how the environment is affecting me because I'm an integral part of it on the subconscious level. But at the same time, the environmental energy is where life forces, life forces mainly not in your perceived reality. It's more in the, uh, let's say in the environmental aspects. And I'll tell you why. If for you to become aware, to become Luke, to understand who you are, your senses must first work. All your sense organs must start functioning. When they function, then you are born, your reality is born. And when they function, your mortal soul is born. But that is a secondary state because for your senses to function, the heart has to function first. Your organs have to function first. All your biological uh, organs have to function and then send send blood and life to your brains. So the biological functions are stage one. Your sensory personality is stage two. The biological functions are part of the subconscious domain. And thank God they're part of the subconscious domain, because if we were conscious of how they work, we would mess them up, you know. If you come one day and say, I'm going to actually not leave the functioning of my biological system to the subconscious, I want to consciously do it. And you write the big manual, and then you find just to move your hand this way, there are about 10 pages first, move the blood that way, do this way, let your brain do that, that that. by the time you read the 10 pages, uh, all you want to do is just move your fingers like this, and all of a sudden you have to read 10 pages. So you wouldn't be able to run your body for 30 seconds or one minute if you could interfere. But a timeless state has no problem of having the laws of nature run the subconscious. So the environment in your subconscious is where the primary life force is. And it sends that to the brain and then your personality is created. And then Luke is created. Before that, you are not here. So that means that in the right brain perception, in the unconscious, lies the source of life force that animates the your whole body. And this is important. So your environmental, let's say, conscience plays a lot in the amount of life force going in your body. Because the more you're aware of how you depend on the environment, the more you take care of that environment, that you more you harmonize the environment, that means the more life force will be in your body because it's the same life force. You're an open energy system. So the environment out there and the environment in there are one. So they're together. And that is how the problem of life force, our major problem, we are creating a civilization that is slowly losing life force. And there'll come a time when you lose life force, extinction will come. So this is the state of things that uh, we're in now. Okay, do you, you want to discuss any other subjects? I'm, I'm with you. I mean,
0: yeah. So sorry. one thing I was curious about, I have many, many subjects. I'm probably going to wear you out here because I have so many oh, questions. Um, going back to a practitioner of biogeometry. I don't know how many there are in the world right now. I'm assuming hundreds, if not thousands of people that have been trained in this particular application. When my friend Nathan came over to the house, obviously wanting to create the most harmonious living space I can for myself, my family and friends and so on. When he did the assessment of the house, he was using, I think I was going to say dowsing rods, but he was using pendulums and he would go around the house and test different areas to figure out where there were imbalances in the field, and then he would use that information to determine the locations of where he was going to put the biogeometry objects on the windows yeah. and so on. So I was curious um, how that either dousing rods or a pendulum helps one determine where there's you know kind of a break in that field or where there's um, uh, some sort of discord that needs to be addressed. Well, first of all, the phenomena of
1: using pendulums has never been understood properly. The origin of dowsing is as a psychic activity. That's how it originates. You hold the pendulum in your hands and you start a dialogue with your own subconscious. So you can, how can you speak with your subconscious? You can't. So you hold the pendulum and train yourself. Say, you make your body, you say, When I ask the subconscious something, is my name Ibrahim? I want you to turn right and keep doing that until it turns right. Okay, is my name Luke? No. Turn left left if it's no. And you keep doing this simple exercise. It's like training your energy or, or training your subconscious to express itself through the movement of a pendulum. You can actually do this training accidentally if you relate things together. For example, if there's a certain twitch in, your, in part of your body, in your eye or in your hand, when a good thing happens, you have associated the good thing w- w- with this twitch. So all of a sudden, your body will use this twitch to tell you something good is happening or the opposite, tell you something bad is happening. And you could actually point at the food that's good for you. And if this twitch happens, you know, it's good for me. If nothing happens, it's not good for me. The pendulum is the same thing. Instead of a body twitch, you have a movement of the pendulum. So it's it's a training of letting your energy fields control the rotation of the pendulum. Okay, that is the psychic way. We don't work that way at all. We use a pendulum with, how would you say, scales in order to assess the quality of information. So we call them qualitative scales. A qualitative scale is a scale that gives you an idea about what is happening in the energy. So for example, your your visual system in your brain uses a qualitative scale, you know, when any and its external energy affects you through touch, smell, sight, sound. It will, have, I mean, every nerve in your body is the same. So it will affect the nerve, either raises energy, lowers energy, or keep it where it is. Now, when this happens, all you have is a nervous reaction. Now, it depends from which organ the nerve is coming. A nerve from the eyes is going to the back of the head here to the visual cortex. So the visual cortex uses a quality scale to assess is the energy increasing or decreasing. So how does it do that? If it increases, it will give you the color red. Decreases will give you the color, let's say violet. Doesn't change will give you the color green. So your brain has Color scales that actually assess the incoming vibration, assesses effect on you. The effect is either increasing, decreasing. Now, sound, the notes, if it's increasing, you have the sound of, of a C note or, 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 or a do, something like that. So the musical notes are another qualitative scale, uh, rough or smooth. You would say, how can touch be a scale? I can give you a very nice uh, exercise to do. Just put your finger like that, see, on the table in front of you and move it like this and have two things beside you. Let's say two different uh, drinks or two different, whatever, herbs or whatever. And now, Touch one, let's say, is good for you, one one is not good. You can put sugar, it's not good, and then you can put something else that you know is good. Now, every time you point that one, you will find that the stickiness of your fingers as you move them on the surface changes. Now, this is strange because the surface is a surface, doesn't change, and your skin doesn't change. It's moving on the surface. But if the energy is not good for you, some stickiness will happen. The surface will be sticky. If something is good for you, all of a sudden, your hand will glide smoothly on the surface. So even the touch is a qualitative scale. So by analyzing all those things as scales, we construct instruments like pendulums and use those qualitative scales as a system on them. Now, the thing is, why, and that's for the first time I've decided to give all dowsers around the world the real scientific basis behind what they've been doing and not being able to explain. And that is, in the book, I analyze the first impulse of creation. The first impulse of creation is actually uh, like a drop from before time and space. You see, it's at the divine level when there's nothing. No time and space means there's nothing. Now, this drop enters in duality. So the duality, you, you get two opposites, but the drop from beyond time and space, it's a center. It has no coordinates. So it controls the dualities, and that's when the first pulse is created. I call in my book, I call that spiritual center. This, in this spiritual drop, I call it the zero because it, it's a center from the spiritual level. I call it the ziron. This zero is actually the timeless animating agent or you can call spirit of everything. So, Everything in time and space, because it has an animated center, is alive. So now you get the first pulse. Creation is nothing but pulses. It's pulsating like that. So you get the first pulse. How does the first, if I go inside the pulse and analyze it, and that's what I do in the book, it's not just from the zero is center expanding and coming back. Uh, if, if you think about it, the center is the timeless part. But the pulse actually happens within the center and back. So the center, because it's timeless, it's at the same time center and periphery. So the center and periphery of everything in creation is timeless and is a living agent. Within this expanding and contracting center, you get the expansion is a spiraling movement. See, a spiraling movement that goes outwards on eight levels and then comes backwards in eight levels. So the spiral, the the pulse of creation is spiraling. Now that is the reason that. The background energy, the background energy is myriads, myriads of those pulses happening and in a hierarchy from the smallest to greater pulses covering all all the background of creation. And all those pulses, like that pulsating, are actually like a spring rotating. There's an inner rotation like that in, in, in the pulse itself. So all the pulses are rotating inside. Bidirectional rotation. So when this happens, you have a seemingly, because there's so many myriads and myriads, you get a seemingly stable background of the universe.
0: All right, peep this. If you'd like a shortcut to better sleep, more energy, and a calmer, more stable mood, then you want to be supplementing with magnesium on the daily. Here's why. About 75% of people, probably you guys listening included, are magnesium deficient. And this can lead to anxiety, irritability, wax sleep quality, and low energy. It can even contribute to foot and leg cramps while you sleep. Because magnesium is involved in more than 300 chemical processes inside your body. So things tend to fall apart if you don't get enough of it. So the obvious answer there is just take magnesium every day, right? Well, sort of. To experience these health benefits, you have to get the right kinds of magnesium. And it turns out there are seven unique forms of magnesium and you gotta get all of them to receive its many benefits. And this, my friends, is why I take Magnesium Breakthrough by BiOptimizers. It's the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that contains all seven different forms. And it's your lucky day because Bioptimizers, the makers of Magnesium Breakthrough, are offering some incredible bonus gifts for a limited time. Here's the madness they're up to. They're gonna to toss in free bottles of their powerful digestive enzymes called Masszymes and their patented probiotic, P3OM, along with your Magnesium Breakthrough order. Pretty generous, I must say. So to score all that, visit magbreakthrough.com slash Luke and enter Luke 10 to activate this exclusive limited time offer. This offer is only available at this specific link, magbreakthrough.com slash Luke, and that code again is Luke 10.
1: Because it's seemingly stable, They used to call it ether, then science came and said, no, there's nothing there. We call it vacuum. Because if it's seemingly stable, they call it vacuum. But what they don't know, it's highly energetic through all the spiraling effects in it. And then the Russians came and said, uh, well, we have uh, something a phenomena that when you melt ice and you hold it on a pendulum, on any pendulum like that, when the ice melts, the pendulum will rotate. So they concluded from that that energy, when it dissipates, it has torsion in it. And that's where the theory of torsion came. But what I explained in the first impulse, what puts the torsion in the background energy is actually the torsion from the pulsating, I call them cyclons from the pulsating first particles. So the first particles are actually not material at all because the outward spiral is mental in nature and the inward spiral is emotional in nature. And the two of them, this bi-directionality, this uh, perception and self-reflection creates the first mind in the universe. So here, the background energy is actually within the spiritual aspect, the zero, And everything in creation is imagined within this mind container. But the mind container, as we know, is a torsion, is a spiraling thing. So, the subtle energy of the universe is highly, highly energetic, more than anything you can think of. Spiraling in both directions very quickly and quickly like that. So, if you think What is the force that drives most motion in the universe? It is the background energy. This is what makes all the planets rotate. You need energy to make planets rotate, whether on the axis or around the sun. You need energy to do that. They won't rotate from themselves. So the background energy of creation is a highly energetic medium in which the universal mind imagines everything in creation. And the first particle that's the cyclone, I call it because it's a mental-emotional activity. So the first particle of creation, before we go down all the way to our level, to the electromagnetic level, to the speed of light, The speed of light and the Big Bang, this is a very, very late phenomena. Because when the subtle energy reaches down all the way down to the speed of light, some sparks happen in it. In the distortion field, some sparks happen. Every spark is a Big Bang and is a universe. So in this model, it's just a spark coming up and finished. But when you're in it, it's, it's, it's a creation in you. It's a whole universe that begins and ends. So now we know that subtle energy is, has torsion. Okay. Now, both the body, when it feels something, this thing you feel has a quality you know, like all the scales in you. It's a qualitative aspect. The qualitative aspect uh, makes you see the feeling. So what happens now? If an energy hits your body, now your body will react. If this energy coming in is spiraling, so the reaction of your body coming out, let's say the quality it perceives coming out, must be spiraling. Because what's the same is your reaction to a spiraling force will be a spiraling force. And the spiraling force will be either positive or negative. So here I'm speaking about something else than the torsion that the Russians have discovered outside. I'm speaking about qualitative torsion in the body. So the body creates a qualitative torsion. It creates a qualitative motion going out and in, out and in, and bi-directional. So when you hold it in your hand, a pendulum will reflect anything weight on a string. If torsion is being emitted from your body, this weight will turn according to the torsion. And depending whether your reaction is positive or negative, the direction of rotation. So in biometry. We have created special devices and all that. And we call that physical radiesthesia, scientific uh, radiesthesia, is dealing directly with torch. Without in the scientific radiesthesia, it's completely different from dowsing because in dowsing, you ask a question. You know, you ask a question, you get an answer. Here, you should never interfere with questions and answer. You should, you have your scales of measurement. Let's say you want to see on the color scale, which color that is, and all that. You should concentrate what color that is. Never ask questions or things. Otherwise, uh, odd suggestion will creep in. That's why physical radiesthesia we using by Jomte, this harmonic radiesthesia, is, is a very good scientific tool. But normal psychic radiesthesia is very good because you can access lots of information and things by a dialogue with the subconscious. You can use it to change yourself, to do many things, but you cannot use it for scientific research because illusion and uh, auto-suggestion will creep in. So that's the difference between the levels of dowsing. Now, once we have assessed, uh, you spoke about we're having practitioners that can come in your home and do that. The difference between the practitioners and the home kit that we give you that has the cube in it, the Practitioners have additional tools that are very effective now with the new 5G and things like that. They have additional tools. They have something like a stand, like called space harmonizer, like that, that they can put in your home in certain areas to take care of that. Now, lately, we thought that everybody buying the home kit should have an additional mini space harmonizer with the cube. So you can actually put the cube and put this small shape, the creative shape just beside it anywhere. And then you would have your mini solution would be, uh, would have, let's say, the solution that the practitioner is installing on a larger scale. Of course, the practitioner does much more, but at least we're adding this little space harmonizer to the new home kits, and the people have already purchased the cube and have it in their homes, they can separately buy a small space harmonizer like that uh, and just put it anywhere on, on the table, just like a piece uh, of uh, when you when you have on a checkboard or something like this, you, you can use. So this is uh, the cube, the origin of the cube. This happened in Hirschberg when I did the place there, And we were speaking about a total Swiss solution for all of Switzerland. But then uh, lots of politics started creeping in, which state should come first, which should not, and, and then which party will do this and all So a lot of political controversy started and who should come first and who should not and all that. And many people in Switzerland then came and said, if we have to wait for the government for the total Swiss solution, it seems that it will never materialize because of all the politics that have crept in it. So we want to be able to purchase an individual solution so I can buy today for my house. So what I did was, I had the shapes that I had in the ground for the total solution. So I thought, okay, now if I bring, I started first getting a card, like that plexiglass card, and then uh, those shapes, I would engrave them on the card. So I had mini shapes like that. And if the total Swiss solution did a valley of 10 kilometers radius in, in a miniature engraving, if it does 100 meters, that would be good enough for a home. So, we did that on a cart so that you can place on the wall or things like that. And then we decided it's easier if we put them on the faces, four faces of a cube, because you can put it on the table like that. So, the cube is actually a mini solution where we have four times the set of stands that are in the ground in Hirschberg. We have four times. A set of four, because they are now reduced, engraved on the cube. And uh, this is what we use as the home kit. We also had other versions where we used laser to engrave those stands in 3D inside the cube. But 3D inside the cube, the cube was more difficult to clean, because it's the plexi that, that with dust and all that, Electrostatic fields start forming around the cube and the efficiency goes down. So, we, we thought if the shapes are engraved on the surface, four surfaces of the cube, you can easily just with your hand clean them like this much easier than if they were 3D inside. So, these, but instead of one set 3D inside, we put four sets on the cube. So, that's how from the Swiss solution within Her- Hamburg came out the home kids. That's, it all goes to to this. Actually, I've been working before that for 15 years with many uh, Mid- Middle Eastern governments. Okay. On, But I was doing things that we couldn't give out to the public because the royalties didn't want to show what was, how their palaces were being harmonized or uh, army camps. We did lots of army camps because in the army camps, when they do a camp in the desert or outside, there's a lot of electromagnetic activity underground where they fix their things. So, and the soldiers, sometimes they had those metal containers where they lived in. And then they started getting headaches and things like that. So they asked us to install shapes in the ground in all those camps so that the electromagnetic radiation didn't harm them. And we did it once, and they were so happy, so we did it in many other camps. But things that are related, we did airplanes, we we did ships, we did things like that. Biogeometry, when I say we do all that, biodeometry is basically a harmonizing science. It cannot be used for harm. It can be used for protection, but it cannot be used for harm. So if, let's say, in your car, the electromagnetic activity will have stress on you, and then you could feel tired, or your concentration can lapse sometimes and all that. We have a car solution. When you put small strips in the car, then We put this harmonizing energy in the car so you stay fresh, you stay awake because there's no inner stress. And this is how we have all those individual solutions for the home, for the car, and so on.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, I actually have one of those stuck on the dash of my car. I've had it on there for a number of years. Yeah, I kind of forgot about it because it's just glued onto the dash. And I I only remember when I go change for a new car and I go, oh, I got to get that out of there. We're working on one for electric cars because now the electric cars,
1: you have so much more electromagnetic activity in the car and you're sitting on a stack of batteries. We have to find solutions here. So we are doing two types of solutions. This thing that you stick in the car and we'll solve the problem that we've modified that for electric cars. But we're also working with some car manufacturers to find designs of car parts that can affect electromagnetic radiation. So you don't have to put something on the car, but let's say you could design a steering wheel in a way that would protect you or, or, or the wheels themselves or uh, anything in the car or, or some trim or something that could have bi-signatures and all that. So we're working on new solutions
0: that should be out soon. That's incredible. I want to let people know you can go to lukestory.com slash biogeometry and use the code Luke for 8% off if you guys want to check this out. As I said, I'm I'm a believer and a big fan. So I want to make sure to throw that in so people know. Now with this cube that I have here, when I originally bought it, it had a, a small gold clearing tray. And if I remember the instructions correctly, there were certain times after a period of time that I was to put the clear cube back on the, on the clearing tray. And when I moved here to Texas, I lost it. So <laughs> I, yeah, I looked and looked and it's just, it's quite small. But you know, th- there are
1: two aspects th- that you should uh, consider. First of all, because it's a plexiglass shoe, well, anything actually, not just the cube, your clothes, your hair and everything through the dust in the air that moves, you get through friction, you get electrostatic fields. That's why uh, from time to time you you just want to stroke your hair like this or or you feel better if you change, wear a clean shirt because of the electrostatic fields. It's electricity, so it becomes uncomfortable. Or when you're wearing metal things, jewelry and things like that, you want to move them in your hand or take them out and put them back again. This is electrostatic charge. Now, you can take the cube. If you just wipe it with a wet thing, you'll take at least the electrostatic charge off. The The tray we have for you, this will also harmonize emotional and mental impregnation of the cube. But the worst thing, is the electrostatic charge. So this can be done without the tray or the little cart.
0: Noted. Okay, that's good. I always wondered what what the purpose of that thing was. Now, in terms of uh, EMF, I have some pretty good clarity on how this application is used for that. Um, You were talking about issues with the climate before and something I just actually did an interview yesterday about this practice of... um, atmospheric aerosol injection, where these planes are spraying metal particulate and other substances in a vain attempt, apparently, to cool the planet and block out the rays of the sun without being mindful of the deleterious effects of those compounds as it drops down onto the soil, water, animals, and of course, us humans. Do you think there's any possibility uh, that if we are harmonizing our property, say we live in a home and uh, we've applied the biogeometry uh, devices, on our windows, and different places where we're instructed to go. Do you think that other atmospheric interferences and um, harmful substances that could even be in the air would be, um, the, uh, the negative effect on them would also be improved? Well, we could, uh, I mean, when you have a home and the garden around it, uh, some space,
1: we could look at the whole space and provide some input on solutions, and there are sometimes very simple solutions. I could tell you, for example, if if I look and uh, I could harmonize energy disturbances by changing the place or the direction of any linear object like a flower box or a bench or something, I could tell you, put it in that angle and put another angle. So I could create some geometry solution that doesn't look, as just move a bench or move something or a pathway and things like that, so I can bring this. The whole idea of biometry is creating a vortex, a wormhole, a spiritual wormhole. This wormhole brings in life force into your plots, and the center, this is the spirit through the spiritual harmonizing life force, come through it. So all those solutions would create some rotation of shape to create this connection. Once we've created it, your house becomes like a sacred power spot, because sacred power spots usually have underground crossings, of crossings of underground streams, and when they cross, they create a vortex that comes out, creates the, the power spot. Now, we will create a virtual power spot through to there, and what happens when we create that? The whatever comes down will be harmonized. Whether it's some chemicals, whether it's whatever comes down, will be harmonized.
0: All right, ladies and gents, we have got a little problem here. It's at the root of nearly everything that makes life crappy. Sleep loss, low energy, dissatisfaction, irritability, illness, and so on. It's also a key contributor to heart disease, high blood pressure, obesity, diabetes, autoimmune disease, anxiety and depression, and much more. You know what I'm talking about? Stress. Here are a few of the latest brutal stats. Two out of three people report feeling extreme stress. More than 80% of people say stress is affecting their physical health, 73% believe stress is impacting their mental health, and well over half of us have trouble sleeping due to stress. Now, I'm not going to tell you that exercise, meditation, and eating right aren't important. Of course they are. But to really beat stress, sometimes we need a little boost. So when I'm feeling overwhelmed, which sadly is a lot of the time because I take on too much, my go-to is called Just Calm from Just Thrive Health. It helps me manage everyday stress fast, gives me a steady and balanced mood, and it even helps me get better sleep, especially when I take it right before bed. And multiple studies show that it sharpens focus and alertness too, in as little as four weeks. So cruise on over to justthrivehealth.com, dial in the code LUKE for 20% off a 90-day bottle of Just Calm. That's essentially a month's supply for free, just for you listeners. And while you're over there, take a peek at their next-level gut support too. Putting together Just Calm with their Just Thrive probiotics is the ultimate recipe for feeling cool, collected, and in control. Again, that's justthrivehealth.com and use the code LUKE for 20-odd. If someone were to go to your site at lukestory.com slash biogeometry, do you have a directory of practitioners there? Is, the, is it searchable if someone we has yes, uh, Yes, actually, uh, my son,
1: Sayed, he takes care of, Uh, of the practitioner uh, venue in Biogenometry and he is the one who has a list of practitioners. So if you go to our website, look at practitioners. He is just leaving Tampa maybe tomorrow or something where he trained 30 new practitioners uh, there and before that he was, I think, on the other side where he was was on the West Coast where he trained 30 more practitioners. So there should be Practitioners in in every area there. So if you go to the website and look for it, all the new practitioners now will be put on the website there. So you have you'll have a list that's growing all the time, and then you can find the, the nearest practitioner in your
0: area. Excellent. But yeah, we, it sounds like this. can always be some-
1: yeah, but uh, you can always contact me, and okay. uh, I can give you. You know, I'll ask you for things like uh, uh, send me a Google map of your house send me some pictures and all that. And I can assess energy and tell you about corrections and all that if you don't find the practitioner. The architectural solutions that that I provide are not done by the practitioners. This is a, a different level. The practitioners, I can't from here do in your home what the practitioner does. He's going to install things. But what I can do from here is analyze the layout, analyze the shape of the house, tell you things to do, and uh, some architectural solutions or some minimal landscape solutions and things like that. This is uh, how I can help you uh, from here, out.
0: Awesome. So in addition to you being a scientist, you're also a trained architect. And I'm wondering, do you or have you at any point had home blueprints or any sort of building plans? If somebody was planning to get a piece of land and build a home from scratch and obviously hire an architect to design it. Uh, do you do any of that kind of work or do any of anyone in your yes, organization sure. do that? Oh, I'm an architect, so I can actually design any
1: project for anybody anywhere in the world. Uh, all I'll do, I'll ask you to get a local architect that I can communicate with and I will give you the building plans and all that. And he will, translate them into he puts the building codes and all the things of your area and he will supervise the construction and I might make a visit, at one-time visit at the end. That is one thing. But I also have plans of houses, by jumped houses that I designed. I haven't offered them public. I have, maybe I have to take permission from the people for whom I designed those houses. And we, we are thinking, I mean, my daughter Dorea was telling me she wanted some of those plans that we, we can put out there that people can actually buy these plans and use them wherever they are. They would have a full bi solution. So we I might, yeah. yeah, we'll choose one or two plans and put it out there soon.
0: I think that's a great idea because of the scalability, you know, just thinking about people that build homes and have no idea the energetics of the land upon which they're building the home, or even businesses, mini malls, office buildings, hospitals, schools. I mean, it just, it seems like there's such a widespread potential for this application. I would love to see at some point in the future where this is scalable, right? And people have access to this information. Um, And that leaves me... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, i ask Larea to send you one of my designs, uh,
1: houses, like a, a, let's say a 3D video of the house, the plan and the house from outside and a walkthrough that you can walk in it. So you get the full experience of a house. I'll check with her and ask her to send you maybe uh, one of those 3D videos that, that you can watch.
0: Oh, I'd love to see that. Yeah, and going back to your... Work around power spots, I've found it interesting looking through historical records and seeing that it, it appears to be that different civilizations over time have built holy temples and buildings of significance in the same exact spots over and over again. <laughs> and yep. floods come or cataclysmic events, and somehow people. In the next generation, or a few generations later, seem to be able to determine that that's the correct spot to build again. Is this phenomenon yes. a reality, or just something that, that I'm imagining, yes. or is it, it a is, fluke? It is reality. Actually, this phenomena is what led me to buy geometry.
1: You know, I'm an architect, and uh, one of the subjects we teach is history of architecture, of course. And we noticed everywhere that the same spot on different levels that you dig every 10 meters, and for an older civilization, you still find a the temple there. And then we have things like the Luxor Temple in Egypt. It, it's a, a ancient Egyptian temple. And then you find inside the temple, there's a church. They came, the Christians came later on, and inside the temple, they built a church in one of the courts. Then later on, the Muslims came and built the mosques inside there too. So you had an ancient Egyptian temple with a church and the mosque all superimposed. So it shows you, first, people thought that when the Christians came, they uh, th- their religion was supreme and they would be against the ancient Egyptian religions. And when the Muslims came, they would be against the Christian religion and so on. And that's why they would come to the spot and build their own thing in there. I kept studying that in many places around the world, and I found it was not true. When you had a sacred power spot, the sacred center of a community, it stayed the sacred center throughout history. From the first cavemen in the dawn of humanity, they came to those sacred power spots. First, they found a stream. They came to drink some water. They found it was healing. So they would bring a huge rock and erect it there, called the Manhir, and they put it there to mark the power spots. Later on, they get two of those rocks with one horizontal in them like a gate, and that opens to the equinoxes, and this is called a dolmen. The menhir is the archetype of obelisks. The dolmen is the archetype of all later temples and pyramids and all that. This became the Holy of Holies and all those things. So I was thinking now, this community that started with just a stone thing, a granite menhir or dolmen lived there with time, They evolved, they put some more and more. This was their sacred spot. And they learned that from animals. In the beginning, they found that animals, when sick or when dying, they used to go to those spots. So they did the same thing. So now, I went in the history of architecture, and then I asked myself, we are teaching students construction methods, style, and things like that of every civilization. Well, we are not telling them why everyone is on top of the other. Maybe there's something else in this area that's more important than the design or the architecture. Maybe some energetic aspect here is at play, and they feel it, and that's why it becomes the center of community. And then I found later that even cities were built You had more than one power spot connected them, and these became the main avenues of the city and all that. And if you want to to look, Washington is constructed that way, Paris, Rome, and Cairo. They all have those power spot centers connected by avenues. So I thought, why not forget the material and go to the energetic? So I found that those places they all had, underground streams crossing at certain angles, creating this vortex that pushed the water to the top and made this with the soul of the power spots. So I thought, well, here something comes into my domain as an architect. You have angles and polarity that are in interplay creating this energy quality. And so I said, okay, as an architect, now let's see the geometrical language behind all that. And that's how my geometry began. Now, once I have understood the geometrical language that produced this quality, I could now actually use stack geometrical shapes or do things to amplify that energy. So now, once I could reproduce it, I could amplify it as much as I wanted. And that's when I found interesting things happening. I could amplify it. But then, since I was producing it geometrically, I started developing design principles. So actually, biogeometry enables you to take your power spot with you. You are not bound to the one there. Every product you create has its own power spots. And so biogeometry sort of gives you the possibility to create your own power spots. Like the ancient science of alchemy, you used to do chemical processes, chemical processes, until you uh, got a grain of gold. People thought that alchemy was, ancient alchemy was a way to produce gold. Actually, the grain of gold was the certificate that proved that you had been transformed spiritually. And that's how this grain came out. So, biogeometry, in a way, is geometrical alchemy because we create the spiritual, the spirituality of the gold dimension. We create it geometrically. So, this is how every product in biogeometry is a sacred part Now, imagine we infuse the the age of information with the quality of biometry, then the whole earth becomes a sacred power spot. Imagine what would happen to our health, to the plants and all that. We would really have a golden age if if we are wise enough to go that path.
0: But the way we're going, I don't know. I mean, (laughs) I don't know either but I like the vision of that. I think if I recall right there's been 560 episodes or something but I believe you're the first Egyptian I've interviewed so I'm I've got to ask you the question do you have any theories or ideas on how the great pyramids were constructed? Yes, and I even have ideas on the origin of ancient Egypt and the origin of
1: all ancient civilizations because they all come from one origin. See? You're getting a preview now from me f- uh, about the new book that I'm writing. The pyramids, I just told you, the ancients they came on a par spot and they put two pillars, t- two stone pillars like that, and above them one horizontal pillar, creating like a sort of a gate. Now, strangely enough, they always placed, oriented that gate so that the opening would face the equinoxes. That means they connected the spiritual power spot on which the gate was erected. This is where the crossings of underground water produced, whether it's a sacred spring or whatever, and you had the dolmen shape, the gate, and when opening towards the equinoxes, towards the east and west, you connect the sacred power spot to the cycle of life. So sacred power spot becomes not just a sacred power spot, but a multidimensional celestial spot. Now, later on, they came on this gate shape like that, and they covered it with mud. They, they, They made like a hill over it. And you had the gate... Where you could enter there and you had your this chamber. So this chamber was always facing somewhere in the east, because the equinoxes move. So it was a range. But strange enough, all the chambers were always facing in this direction. So somebody knew. So I went on a power spot and got let's say, two matchboxes like that and put one horizontally on them and kept rotating them on the power spot. The moment I reached a certain direction towards the opening towards east and west, I found the energy of the power spots shooting along a straight line from the east to the west. So somehow somebody knew that with proper orientation, my spot would radiate outwards. Now, they covered it with mud and they used to go in there, do the same rituals they did in a power spot. Now, they did it in a sacred chamber. Later, they put, instead of just mud, they did mud bricks around it and covered it with mud. At the end, it always looked like A hill with grass on it and things like that. A huge hill. With time, the entrance was covered with mud, and so everybody forgot about it. Then came the Middle Ages, and people would measure, would look for sacred power spots, and they found those sacred hills. They didn't know that some earlier humanity... Had a dolmen inside there, had a chamber, and this was actually a temple and not uh, a, a mound. So, they some countries they built a church on one of them, they built a castle on the other one, not knowing that this is an artificial hill, it's an artificial mound. Later on, this hill everywhere in the world, civilization was not developing at the same rate. So while, for example, you had very primitive cavemen in Europe. You had a very advanced civilization in the Middle East. So while they were here putting on it just mud, in Egypt, they started building the first stone pyramid in Saqqara, the step pyramid. So they started, but it the Holy of Holies in there, there was always a chamber, a sacred chamber in there. And the burial, using it as a burial place, was one of the functions, but not the whole thing. The whole thing was a sacred power spot, and you put on it, you covered it now with stone in Saqqara, in Egypt, the Step Pyramid, the first stone pyramid in history, and then the other, the Great Pyramid and all that. So actually, the pyramids you see are the last stages in pyramid construction. So where you have a pyramid, you might have had 100,000 years earlier, you might have had just a dolmen with some mud on it, and you might have had just a hill, and people were practicing their rituals there. Through time, developed, developed, until you got the pyramid shape. Not only that, after the pyramid age, you, you had... Temples all over the world. Now, every temple had always the Holy of Holies. So instead of having a pyramid, you still had the Holy of Holies and the temple around it. The the temples, the basilicas, all religious edifices in, in the world that have the Holy of Holies go back to the same concept of the dolmen. So that's the concept of the pyramids.
0: How how the hell did they move those those giant rods to build them? Not only that, we
1: like to look at material things, so we ask ourselves, how did they move a rock? While nobody thinks this is a sacred place, it has a sacred power spot. It has the holy of holies in it, so every tourist goes there he's eating his ice cream, he's moving around and enjoying this but they don't know that this is a sacred place it's a holy place, you should go there and start with a prayer and enter with the dignity that those things deserve but all I'm thinking about, how did they move the stones, how, but when you think moving the stone is a miracle look at the environment and the sciences that those people had. Beside that, if you understand how developed they are, then you'd know that building a pyramid wouldn't be such a difficult thing. But if you think they're primitive people, then building the pyramids is a difficult thing now. You see on the first engravings and then in the scrolls, you see pictures of people performing brain operations 5,000 years ago. And brain operations were a normal thing. Now, we only started doing brain operations about 30 years ago, or 40 years, something like that. With all our modern technology and modern medicine, we only did that uh, lately. But if you think people did it 5,000 Years ago, and it was normal. Now, we see mummies that had transplanted hands and/or and, feet. Now, transplants are something relatively new. So, somebody loses a hand, you transplant a hand or a foot, you transplant foot. There are mummies that show transplants. So, you'd ask yourself, How is that possible 5,000 years ago? I'll tell you something, for example, that they did that we still can't do today. When you have cataracts in your eyes, what they will do is they'll actually take off the lenses, clean the cataracts, and then put artificial lenses. There's no other way of doing it than by inserting lenses. Now... The ancient Egyptians, you had cataracts in your eyes, the, the and the lenses are usually brittle with time. What they did was just push the lens a millimeter or something into the eye socket, push it a bit back so that it, you push it into the liquid. So the liquid there, So it's sort of, because it's drying up, so you push it slightly into the liquid and you clean the water of the cataract and the person is normal. It's a simple operation they do. and We haven't been able to do cataract surgery and keep our normal lenses, our biological natural lenses. I spoke to some doctors when I was in Canada. I, I was speaking to my eye doctor surgeon, and uh, I told him about all that, and said, "Oh, yes, I've read about that. Those people must have gone blind afterwards." So I said, "Look, if you do an operation once, and the person goes blind, and you do it twice, he goes blind again. You keep doing it, and they keep getting blind. They stop doing it sometime." Yes, I mean, but if they keep doing it for 3,500 years, I mean, (laughs) it must be working. So, if you think about all those things in ancient Egypt, this is, it takes us to, uh, if you look at ancient Egypt, ancient Sumeria, ancient China, they seem to have erupted in full bloom, those civilizations. Because you could see, for example, in many places in the world, primitive humanity evolving slowly, slowly, slowly from stone ages to this, to this. But then you come to Egypt, to Sumeria, and some of those uh, civilizations, or Atlantis that we we don't know much about. All the civilizations seem to have Erupted, appeared in their full bloom from the beginning. Some people even argue that the ancient dynasties were more capable than the later ones. For example, at the time of the pyramids, they were more capable in moving large stones, megalithic stones, or even before that, there are temples like the Valley Valley Temple near the Sphinx, some temples or in the the in the south, they have gates where they have the horizontal stone above it is a huge 400-ton stone. Now imagine you make a gate and put the 400 ton a 400-ton stone across. Things like that. So you ask yourself always, did I mean those sciences must have evolved slowly through history? There must have been some other civilization. And in ancient Egypt, we know of the chronology of history from the Old Kingdom, from the start of the Old Kingdom, King Norman Menes, and then we have the rest. But if you go to the chronologies, the existing chronologies, you will find that the ancient priests, like Manethon, a, a priest around uh, four hundred BC or something like that, he had the in his temple. He had the chronicles of ancient Egypt, and he is the one actually who put all the dynasties the way we know them. He recorded them, so he recorded all the dynasties, every king, and his wife, his children, how many years he ruled, and things like that, through all the history of Egypt. But then you have the old kingdom with the first dynasty. The list goes before the first dynasty with 12,000 years. Giving every king, his wife, his children, what he did and all that, a huge list over 12,000 years. He called it the civilization of the Shemsuhor. Shem Suhor means followers of horse. So you ask yourself, but it's the same list that goes 12,000 years and goes into the rest. So how come we acknowledge only from 3,000 BC, 4,000 BC? We acknowledge those kings. But what is before? On the same list, we call this must be mythology, 12,000 years earlier. We haven't found anything. And then he goes on even further. Before the 12,000 years, he has 23,000 years of civilization called the Netero. Again, with every dynasty, every year, every king and all that in detail. So, I mean, do you think somebody would just invent something like that for fun and keep writing names of fairs and what they did and their wives and everything. For uh, that goes less 12 plus 23, let's say oh, nearly 50,000 years. But and that is there's a stone in the Museum of Turin that has this chronology and there are other uh, remnants of ancient Egypt that have this similar chronologies. So Here we come to a point where the Adamic race, as we know it, the Adamic race started, like you see in old scriptures and all that, sometimes, let's say 6,000 BCE, or sometimes, that's what they say Adam, when they give Adam and then Noah and all those. You go back to maximum 6,000 B.C. or 7000, something like this. But archaeology has shown us that humans existed for 3 million years. We have fossils of humans on Earth for 3 million years. And now people are having a problem of reconciling those things. How come religious scriptures or speak about Adam as the first human being and all that? And when we, archaeology tells us that those fossils are 3 million years old, the, the Cro Magnons or the Neanderthalers and all that, they're 400,000 years old. So, is what is the right one? Archaeology or scriptures? Now, the problem here is they do not know exactly I mean, what is the Adamic race? If you knew what it was, you can't find the Adamic race through fossils or bodies or how they look. If you are going to judge by uh, people walking on two feet and all that and looking like us, they could be different. But bodies like us, you can't judge people by their bodies. So, in every book I have, I always use uh, the model of right brain, left brain perception. The animals have their main perception, their focus of perception is mainly in the right brain, in the subconscious level, in the universe's timeless level, and only very limited in the sensory perception. That's why the overruling aspect of their lives comes from the collective natural aspect of their subconscious. But what does that mean? If their perception here is very limited and their focus of perception is in the subconscious, that means they perceive this world and they perceive this the, the whole domain of the subconscious, because the focus of perception isn't there. So, they should be able to perceive it. So, animals are actually walking with us, but they are living simultaneously, consciously with their perception in a multidimensional world. And the ancient Egyptians placed the divinities and humanity and the animals in between, as the messengers between the gods and the humans. Why? Because an animal is already living on the other side. So an animal looks at life and death in a different way than we do because he's equally present in his body and outside. So whether he looks to the right or to the left doesn't really matter. So so the animals in nature, the whole life and death thing, First of all, in nature, it is balanced by needs. Not like humans, you just kill. No, they kill what they need. So, but to them, killing and going from one dimension to, that is normal. So the ancient Egyptians had, for example, the dog Anu or Anubis, the black dog or jackal. This dog usually roams around cemeteries when people are buried and he accompanies the dead, when they die, he accompanies them to the other dimension. That means he's living here, but equally living there. Because while he has a physical body, the person dies, he goes, takes the person, now the soul of the person and his perception walks with him to the other side. So the animals were living in this dimension. Now, primitive humanity had a bit more of sensory perception, but they still had complete perception of the timeless subconscious levels. So they lived in both worlds at the same time. So primitive humanity actually interacted with what we call today angels, aliens, or all things like that in a timeless state. These were things, entities they lived with everyday life. So they spoke with angels, they spoke with aliens, That everybody was everywhere. Why I'm saying everywhere? Because when you don't have linear time and space, You could equally move in time and space. So the whole universe was their Hmm. home. Imagine entities on Mars connecting with entities here in Sirius connecting with them. It was all one timeless state. Now, as the focus of consciousness moved more, into, let's say, the left brain perception, there comes a time in humanity when it crosses over. The moment it crosses over, the door is closed to the subconscious. And when the door is closed to the subconscious, it means two things. It means the hold of the subconscious on you is loosened. It has no grip on you anymore. What does that mean? It means that you, at this moment, have acquired free will, complete free will. By acquiring free will, you only acquired it because the door closed. Now, what is this other dimension? This other dimension is actually heaven on earth, that you were in this multidimensional thing. So, at this moment, that you got free will. This is the moment that the Adamic race is born. So the Adamic race is a state of perception of free will. This is when the one unified soul of sensory and extrasensory splits into two, a mortal soul and an immortal soul.
0: Now you have the Adamic race. So So that that came about with the existence of duality. Like uh, what I'm hearing there is that's the beginning of duality in a sense, at least from the perception of the human. Yes, the duality, the separation.
1: Before it was total harmony of the duality, but now you had the separation. But that is not the duality of creation. That's we're speaking about the duality uh, of of the perception in the brain. Yeah. So now the Adamic race was created, closed off, closed from the other side. Now, but the Adamic race, when it was completely separated, how come, at the same time, you had so many great civilizations that seemed to be 100,000 years old on Earth? Now, let us go back again to just before the Adamic race, to when the focus of perception was crossing over. There's a brief moment in history when it was just in the middle, equally here and equally there. So you had your full perception faculties, but you had your full Life in the timeless, spaceless state of the universal being. Now, this was just the phase pre-Adamic, just the moment, the pre-Adamic phase before the door closed. Imagine in this phase, you were aware of a, a dimension that had. A, a timeless, and this you, it could move in multiple time space dimensions. For, for this dimension, present, past, and future were one. But that means that this dimension, that was universal, the whole universe, not only us, was had the evolution, the scientific evolution, from zero to infinity to whatever you think of in the future, all together in an eternal present. Now, to them, for example, the laws were different. Instead of having cause and effect, cause and effect is only possible in linear time. They had resonance, the laws of resonance. Laws of resonance means automatic shift from anywhere in the universe to another spot Uh, like entanglement, things like that. You could move. Resonance would shift you there. You'd think something would be there. So motion in time and space was different. Their whole civilization, it was totally different because without the constraints of time and space, you could have something so advanced that we wouldn't even dream of. But in our subconscious today as humans, we have something telling us the, the yearn for time travel, because that at some time it was my normal state. Now I'm trying to replicate it in time and space, you see. So there was a universal, timeless civilization in this other dimension, this holistic unity of the universe. Now, as humanity, Broke loose from that dimension. Remnants of that civilization went through the doorway with them, created now not a unified, because now we're in time and space, created legacies on the earth, created a legacy in Egypt, a legacy in Sumeria, a legacy in Atlantis. And so, all those ancient civilizations were legacies. Now, what the ancient Egyptian chronology speaks of the 50,000 years of the demigods or the Netero and the Shem's these would be probably the 50,000 years in history when the focus was in the middle between the two. Then you had those civilizations, the Nether and the Shemshor, that the ancient Egyptians said were the origin of our earthly civilizations. So they were not earthly, but multidimensional. But they could have had a physical counterpart, the bodies. So you don't know when you see a fossil of a Cro-Magnon man. You can't tell if he if he saw. The, the whole universe of the subconscious if you could actually see it like an animal does you see in when i said that animals uh, were in in a, in a region between the gods and the and the humans because they had this multidimensional perception now think see all the pictures of in ancient egypt with human bodies and animal Wear heads. Or even today, why do the shamans always wear something animals? You know why? Because the shaman wants to move his perception into this holistic dimension. As a human being, he's an Adamic race. The door has been shut for him. But the animal still had the open perception. So if he wears some animal or feathers or things like that on his head, it will affect his perception and he can actually shift his perception and see in the other world, in the holistic world. So this is how ancient Egypt, ancient Sumeria, and all those uh, People think that the Atlanteans came to Egypt, created the Egyptian civilization. Oh, well, that's n- not right because all of them are legacies of the, this holistic other civilization. And there was not only the Egyptian, but there was another African civilization that was also very advanced and things like that. a civilization in Africa that knew so many astronomical secrets that we still don't know today. So each one got. A legacy, a legacy from somewhere. Where, where did they get from? From this universal civilization that is on a multi-dimensional level.
0: Yeah, that's that's so incredible. Uh, I just, man, I've got a lot to contemplate after this conversation. <laughs> um, one one thing, and you know, it's probably a pretty deep one. I know we're at the two-hour mark here, but. I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about your perspective on reincarnation. I've heard you speak about it uh, from the perspective of a nonlinear experience, meaning you have your eternal soul, and that simultaneously what we would normally think of in a linear way of past lives are actually being, and forgive me if I get this wrong, you can unpack it in the way that is more, you know accurate. But from what I understand is rather than the paradigm that, that many of us believe that, okay, we, we have a soul and we reincarnate over and over again in linear time and our past lives were in an ancient time and then we evolve as a soul and then perhaps at some point sort of graduate, for lack of a better term, to a higher dimension. And, and I've heard you talk about it more from the standpoint of the eternal soul existing in all time and, and space and simultaneously experiencing different sort of avatars or temporal souls that are here on Earth or in in many dimensions evolving all at once in a linear sense. Yes, Yes. The whole idea is
1: you you cannot uh, explain any phenomena to the sensory left brain if you do not translate it into linear time and space, before and after in chronology. And if you do not translate it into your cultural content through association in order to understand it. So this translation is your only way of seeing things because if you don't translate it into linear time and space, you can't explain it and you cannot even perceive it. So the way we explain past lives and future lives and all that is a simplistic metaphor, just a metaphor for what's happening. But sometimes people get pulled into this explanation and think it's, it's the real thing. And they start saying things that are not the way they are. For example, saying that In every life, you pay for something you did in a past life or get rewarded for something you did in a past life. This is taking cause and effect in linear time, taking it over to the other side, non-linear time where it doesn't exist. So there's no cause and effect there. So if somebody says, a person is handicapped it is because he did something in a past life it's a very cruel way of looking at it you should have compassion for a person who is handicapped and not say he's uh, paying for something else now if you find yourself in love with somebody else's wife and you want to justify it (laughs) you (laughs) you know it's wrong but if you want to justify it, then you say, oh, you know, you were my wife in a in a previous life and you died early and left me and I've been searching for you until I find you today. And this is, again, taking things into time and space where they don't belong. So you cannot transfer, you cannot transfer something from this life into the future. Otherwise, you would say, I will do this bad thing today. I don't care because I can always pay for it in the next life. If you start taking that, throwing th- things from one life to the other, we'll have big chaos. You know, it won't work. Now, reincarnation or life after death, it's not after death. I call it the other life because theres it's an a presence, a, a, eternal presence. Now, your immortal soul is there And there are many, many lives not necessarily related to each other. But those lives could have some aspects of them that are similar. But they're not related at all. Now, you in this life, in your earthly life, have you do a certain action or have a certain affinity. You play music, you draw, whatever, you you do something, you start here. So you initiate the resonance from this life. When you initiate the resonance from this life, resonance is multidimensional. It will resonate on the immortal soul with similar qualities of many, many other lives. So, This resonance has a two way information exchange. You will get a lot of information from all those other lives that are in resonance with the activity you did here. You will get all this information into your individual part of your universal soul, and it will be in the background of your earthly life but it doesn't mean that you were that person's personality no it means that an essence from all those persons is now being transferred to you now how do we evolve here if you think you evolve from one life to another remember On the other side, in your remote soul. Each one of those lives that you think you're evolving through exists at the same time. So the real evolution is happening to you. All those other lives are causing an evolution in you, in this life. So all the evolution that you experience or that you think that you would need multiple lifetimes to experience is actually happening to you in this life. So in this life, you go through all the evolution. It's not, I'm going to evolve into so many lives until I reach a certain level and then end. No, all this happens in this life. Every second of your life, you're evolving through information of other lives. So you evolve. So you're continuously evolving. So reincarnation, ev- evolution in reincarnation is happening here and now in every life. And that's how, how we should know because you cannot impose linear time. You cannot impose it on multidimensional time. So you should look at reincarnation that way, that you evolve in this life now at the same time we said resonance is a two way thing so your what you are doing here will get transferred to those other lives that your immortal soul is experiencing that means you will have an effect on their development on every one of those lives too Now, you're looking at it from here, in a linear aspect. So you say, for example, how can I have an effect or influence the life of somebody who lived in the 15th century? He could influence my life, but how can I influence his life? The influencing level, all of them are present. They're in in the same thing. Now, that explains one thing. Why, when we think of past incarnations, why it is always important people. Every woman was Cleopatra, was Nefertiti. Every man was Leonardo da Vinci. Or, or Why always famous people? Nobody says in my past incarnation, I was a homeless guy <laughs> in the corner of the street somewhere and I died of hunger. Nobody says that. Why? Because usually in your earthly life, When you are interested in a certain activity, you are, you have interest in the people you know, you're looking at people in history who interest you. Reincarnation as we understand it from where it belongs, from the other dimension where it belongs, it becomes a totally different story than what we have. We can see what in our understanding is applies and what doesn't some people will say but some children are born remembering every detail about the past incarnation how can that happen well with resonance and transformation uh, of information you can get all kinds of of things can be transformed you you can connect to, to other houses to other lives to other things you can recognize them and all that because are entering into resonance, So everything can be explained. Once we really know the nature of incarnation, we can decide for ourselves what what should I believe and what I shouldn't believe. Now, it's the same thing. What we said about incarnation is the same about if we are speaking about afterlife, we should be speaking about the other life as something that is happening here and now. Our perception during earthly life is just away from it. But it's been there all the time. It's a present situation. We are now shifted our perception into earthly life. And we'll go back to the other life where we were always there. Because this other life where we'll go to is existing in our subconscious. So we never left it to begin with. And that's the feeling you'll get when you're there. You won't get the feeling that you died and went there. But you get the feeling that I was always here. And so, this is the way to look at things from the uh, the reality of their present, in their domain, in the right domain, because we are speaking about things that are extrasensory, that belong to multidimensionality, and the translation into our linear time and space sometimes takes a lot out of the reality and distorts it in many w- ways. So I hope, I hope it didn't <laughs> confuse anybody, <laughs> didn't make it too complicated. But uh, this is how I, I actually uh, analyze it. And then we can, in biogeometry, we have many ways of practically verifying all that and accessing information on the subconscious level. We have many instruments to do that. So I'm speaking from actually experience and uh, I could actually show you ways of accessing this information and that knowing where it belongs, where is the subconscious, how I can access it and all that.
0: That's beautiful. I I think with that, I mean, that should wrap up things. Absolutely, we covered a lot of ground today, and uh, I love that explanation. And it's it's going to really give me something to think about because I, I have always thought about the concept of multiple lives being in a, in a very linear construct, and this opens things up considerably. So it's it's going to give me a lot to contemplate in the in the days to come, for sure. So I appreciate well, that. Just think that all those lives are part of your present life.
1: And they are contributing to your present evolution in this life. Just look
0: at it that way. Beautiful. I love it, man. Well, thank you so much for your dedication to your work for these 81 years. And uh, thank you for taking such a great time with me today. I learned a lot and uh, I'm really excited to share this with the audience. I know people are really going to enjoy this and it's going to give them something to think about too. So I appreciate it.
1: Well, it's my pleasure, Luke, and uh, it's high time, uh, anyhow, we met, you know, on the show. Absolutely. Yeah, we've been uh, thinking
0: of doing it for a long time. We have indeed. Well, blessings to you, and uh, we'll talk soon. Well, thank you, Luke, and thank thanks for having me on the show.